This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitalyinternational.com. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today, I'm figuratively heading up the M5 from my home in Devon, southwest England, to meet my guest, Gianpaolo Paglia, who has been involved in the world of wine for more than 25 years and who now lives and works in beautiful Shropshire. John Paolo is originally from Tuscany's coastal Maremma area, and for two decades he developed and created a very successful Maremma wine estate that produced the classic wines of the zone. He's no longer involved in that business, but is still working in wine from his home in England. Welcome, John Paolo. Thank you for being my guest this morning. It's a gorgeous day here in Devon. I hope the sun is shining with you up in Shropshire. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. And uh, yes, the, the weather is not bad today. It's dry, which is you know, already you know a good result <laughs> in UK. So and uh, you know earlier there was a bit of sun as well. Probably not enough to plant the vineyard right where I am, but uh, you know there are vineyards around here actually. Oh, good. Well, perhaps we'll talk of those vineyards just a little later. Let's turn first to your home area, Maremma. Can you tell our listeners, I like them to get a picture of this beautiful part of, of, of Italy, where it is and what it has to offer that's quite different from other parts of Tuscany. Sure. Yeah, there, there is a bit of, I think, you know, uh, frustration for people from Maremma because uh, obviously pretty much everybody knows Tuscany and uh, and they, they all go to Tuscany or they want to go to Tuscany. You usually fly to Pisa, go around the area, which is beautiful, of course, and then they go to Florence uh, and uh, maybe sometimes they go back to Siena, San Gimignano. So they, they just cut off the part of Maremma, part of Tuscany called Maremma, which is the, the southernmost part of Tuscany, uh, which actually encompasses Lazio. So Maremma is a, is a sort of 100 miles uh, stretch of, uh, of, of coastal area in Tuscany. And, um, and it's, it's very peculiar, very different, much more wild and domesticated than uh, inland Tuscany. It's got a completely different history because of uh, its, its geography, because of uh, you know, where it is. And, uh, and, uh, but it's full of uh, incredible, beautiful things to see. It's much more wild and natural than uh, the rolling hillside of Chianti Classico. Of course, it's on the seaside, so it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful place to go. Uh, if you like, uh, you know, if you like swimming or go on the beach or sun tanning, full of beautiful little villages on the coast and also also inland on the on the hillside. I had a, a, a kind of you know troubled history because of uh, malaria in the past, you know, until probably 150, 200 years ago, and you know was full of marches. Uh, in a way, it reminds me a lot of uh, the Camargue in southern France. 
it's very similar under under a lot of point of views. Okay, so um, a coastal area that is less visited, and you say it's bordering Lazio, so visitors could equally fly to Rome and and drive up to Maremma as easily as down from Pisa. Absolutely, and in fact, is is it is a very touristic area, uh, especially from people from Rome. It is considered like you know the good place to go from Roman people. They want to go in a in a you know in a nearby. An hour, an hour and a half from 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 home, but in a in a much beautiful uh, setting and uh, you know f- full of as I say beautiful things, beautiful wines and food and beautiful uh, coastal villages. So it's very popular. It's just that it's not so much known by by people you know foreigners, but it is very popular in Italy. And it it has a very long and um, ancient history linked to wine. This was a center of Etruscan civilization as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as you know, you know, w- wine was always uh, grown, vineyards were always grown in the area, and Etruscan people were famous to do, you know, uh, and enjoy wines, and then, you know, of course, also the Romans. Also, you know, um, had, in, in the course of the, of the history, uh, when Italy was fragmented in little different states, for about 200 years, there was a state which was like an enclave of Spanish crown in uh, in that part of area. So in the, from 1550 to 1720, something like that. That place was actually Spain, Spain, Spanish, uh, you know, Spanish territory. So there is a lot of also in terms of wine that um, has been taken from uh, from that heritage, and they change a lot of the architecture. There are beautiful Spanish architecture around in the, in some places, uh, especially in the place where I was born, Orbetello, Monte Argentario. But also, you know, it's it's funny to to see that. One of the most important local varieties, and I, I'm just getting straight into wine now here, it's called Alicante. So already the names give you an idea of Spanish provenance. But Alicante is nothing, nothing else than Grenache or Garnacha. Uh, so that is 100% you know, part of the Spanish heritage. They, they must have brought Alicante because that's, that's really something special in Tuscany. You might find it somewhere else, but that is really very, very much in the old vineyards everywhere in Maremma. And it's very adapted to Mediterranean climate, as well. No, It grows very well. And I think it forms a very beautiful complement to Sangiovese to make very, 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 very unique wines, uh, different from, from other parts of Tuscany, but very, very specific, very, very terroir-driven, and also, you know, using this heritage. And uh, I think it's it's something that people have started to explore in recent years, but uh, uh, not as much as probably should deserve. Well, that's really interesting. Of course, uh, Sardinia during that time would have been under the Spanish as well, wouldn't it? Exactly, and they also have uh, Grenache there, you know, as you know. Yes, the Cananao. Yeah, Cananao. So it's all part of that, you know, sort of, uh, you know, Spanish, uh, you know, influence and, and domination in the, in the Mediterranean around those those years. Now, interestingly, John Paolo, last night in anticipation of speaking with you today, I opened a bottle of a wine of one of your wines, a beautiful wine, Capa Tosta, two thousand six drinking in beautifully, a really, really good condition. And I was I was uh, struck by the color. The color was still quite dark. And I'm wondering if it's that bit of Alicante that's that's adding to the Sangiovese Morellino. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Alicante that actually should, should have the opposite effect because very pale variety. But what we have there is also another very important variety called Ciliegiolo. And Ciliegiolo is also, uh, you know, kind of more obscure 
origin, even though, you know, it is probably very likely one of the parents or an offspring of Sangiovese. Uh, and that, that gives a very bright, ruby, intense color. Uh, and that's probably one of the reasons why. Like, also, Sangiovese, you know, it's, 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 it isn't uh, known for dark color, but that depends a lot from the clones and the place where it is grown. So we, you can have dark dark colored Sangiovese in, 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 in this part of Tuscany. Um, yeah, and then, you know, the ripeness there is, is, is you know, much more... Uh, intense than than inland, you know, than in the Chianti area, for example. But you can see, you know, also in, a, in many Sangiovese from Montalcino, you sometimes you find intensities of color that aren't found in, you know, 50 miles inland in the Chianti Classico area. Well, let's talk about the Marema uh, version of Sangiovese, the Morellino. What does that have that differs from some of the other Sangiovese biotypes? Well, you know, Morellino... It's the local name of uh, of the wine, and also the local name of the Sangiovese. The clones of uh, you know of Sangiovese they find in the vineyards, uh, you know, always as, as in you know, many cases, mixed provenance and uh, and and in my opinion, you know, the, the the wine really there is more you know intended as a blend. Uh, not just Sangiovese, but also, as I say, Chile Giolo and, and Alicante, but also, you know, some other local varieties you can find there. But, you know, the, the, the point is, you know, it's not so much a difference in terms of, in terms of clonal diversity. It's more to do with, uh, with the condition, with the climatic conditions. Uh, we're much closer to the seaside. Although Morellino Scansano is quite a pretty large area going from, from, from the seaside, from, from the sea level to 500 meters above the sea level inland, uh, stretching, you know, across three or four communes. But, you know, the conditions in, in that side of Tuscany, uh, you know, of course, it's warmer, much warmer than inland. It's much drier and it's much sunnier and you're very close to the seaside. It's it's similar to Bulgari on that uh, respect, but with much more variation in terms of altitudes and, um, and and soils, so what do you have here? In, this, in the end, the result of very very ripe, full-bodied, you know, big wines that sometimes need to be tamed down a little bit to be kind of rained, or you know, down to 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 make them more balanced. Otherwise, you know, you would easily have very alcoholic wines, you know, sometimes unbalanced wines. But if you do it properly, you have beautiful, you know, beautiful wines that very, very uh, true to the, to the terroir. To me, the example I always made, and for some people that resonates probably and becomes be more understandable, it's, it's the difference between uh, a Northern Rhone, where you have 100% Syrah wines, powerful, but, but also, you know, much more, uh, you know, vertical. And then you compare them to the southern part of the Rhone in uh, Chateauneuf-du-Pape, for example. So to me, Morellino is the Chateauneuf-du-Pape of Tuscany, whereas, the, you know, the, the Northern Rhone, is if you want from Montalcino to inland in Tuscany. So this is like a difference, you know, I think it, it, and it, for the same, pretty much for the same reasons, you know, because as you go towards the seaside, uh, things change and, and you, you probably need to do, to incorporate into, into these wines, a blend of different varieties to find harmony and balance. So to create that balance, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, it, you know, still, there will still be wines for, People that love that kind of ripeness, which is fine. I mean, you know, sometimes you want a wine with different, you know, different uh, styles and different uh, 
and different characters depending on what your mood is, what you're eating, what you drink, you know, what you want to do. So, you know, there, there is a space for those wines. And, um, and, and I think, you know, if you, if you want to become true to the terroir, you can make beautiful wines. Yeah. And increasingly, uh, some very good white wines being made as well as rosato wines. I've had some very good Marama rosatos. Yeah, Vermentino for sure is one of the, you know, the varieties that's been very successful in, in, in the coastal part of Tuscany. It gives a lot of saltiness, a nice body, nice acidity, simple maybe, but, uh, you know, very, very refreshing and crisp. And, uh, and again, you know, with, with a lot of Mediterranean characters, I think those wines are, are really, you know, wines that you want to drink, when, especially when you're there. Like, like, you know, when you go in a, in a, in a, in a coastal area, you really enjoy those wines made in these places because they have that, those characteristics that marry them beautifully with the food and the saltiness, you know, the character. Yes. Well, let's let's talk about some of the foods of the Maremma. we do have that mix of the coast and, as you say, the more rugged interior. You've got that in the cuisine as well. Absolutely. You know, it, 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 it's a seaside. Maremma is, is on the sea. So, of course, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, Fishermen uh, villages, so seafood is is is, is very important part of it, uh, and you know you can imagine everything. You know you can find beautiful uh, you know fish like uh, orata or you know, lobsters and um, shrimps and you know octopus and all, all you know really endless possibilities there. But also also you know all the in- inland side where where, where there is one meat probably which is the the, the real. Uh, you know, flagship of Maremma, which is cinghiale, wild boar, and you know, and you can have you know a lot of combinations with pasta, fresh pasta like tortelli, tortelli maremmani. They're usually much bigger than you know the the other kind of uh, tortelli. If four four or five of them would be enough for to fill you up, uh, and they usually come with a beautiful uh, cinghiale ragu, and and and, he, and you have like in perhaps everywhere in Italy, which is probably the most distinguished part of Italian cuisine, you have a lot of uh, simple places where you can find these really, you know, basic st- staples of, uh, of Italian cuisine, or local cuisine, and you don't need to be in any sophisticated uh, restaurant or setting. You really enjoy stopping by the, you know, this trattoria or restaurants on these little villages, and you'll always be sure to find uh, this simple, but, but really... Really, really speaking of the terroir, of the territorial dishes. And of course, there are also, you know, beautiful and, uh, and renowned Michelin star restaurants, uh, very sophisticated restaurants uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, in, you know, these little villages on the, on the hills and also, you know, on the seaside. We have, you know, we've been blessed by having the Pelican Hotel since 1960s, which has seen uh, all the, you know, jet set from Hollywood, uh, and you know, rock stars, and still does. It's very, very private location, and and it's very simple as well. It's not you know, it's not luxurious in, in you know in, in in any you know you know architectural or or uh, or uh, you know um, you know sophistication of, of interior design. But it is classic, and it's it's it makes you feel at home. And the food has always been fantastic there. So it, there, there are there is everything. You know, there are simple places you can go enjoy with the 20 euros and have a very rewarding meal and there are very high sophisticated say hot cuisine where you can find and satisfy yourself if you want well i think i think you've painted a very enticing picture of this small corner of tuscany that is less well known and i think it is somewhere that 
people should definitely consider visiting for all of those reasons, the food, the wine, but also that mix of inland and seaside. And, yeah, it's it's a very appealing area. Also, the weather is, the weather is often there. It's often glorious there. And, uh, and uh, if you can, I would recommend to go outside, uh, you know, the, the highest season, which is July and August. But if you can go in June, in September, October, but even now, uh, it's, it's even in January sometimes, we've got these beautiful, bright, sunny days, fantastic. You know, you just go there and you can't believe you are in, in winter. Well, let's, let's turn briefly then to your adopted home, uh, England. Uh, you've, you've been in England for how many years? Well, on and off. I mean, on and off. Family's been here since 2009. I've got three kids. My wife's English and uh, I've been commuting until 2015. And then from 2015, I'm more, uh, you know, I'm more uh, stable here. And, uh, you know, my wife is from, from the Midlands. So that's, that's where we are. My wife is from the Midlands as well. That's, 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 why, I'm, <laughs> that's why I'm in England. Yeah. So over this long period, you, like me, have seen a huge evolution of food and local drinks, including the rise and rise of pretty good English and Welsh wines, which are by no means no longer a joke. No, they're not. They're not. And uh, I've, been, uh, I've been also involved in many uh, blind tastings in the master wine course and with master wines and with people of very high qualifications. And uh, I, can, I can tell your listener that in many cases, it's very difficult to pull them apart from good quality champagne. You know, if, when you drink a blind tasting, good quality uh, English sparkling wines, you know, they're head to head with good quality champagnes. They lack that, you know, depth. And, uh, and complexity of the very top cuvee, of course. But that's also because, you know, there's no enough history, there's not enough reserve wines here, just to mention one thing. But that, I'm sure that will come as well. But, you know, on, on, the, on the high quality, you know, uh, non-vintage cuvee, champagne, UK, the best UK sparkling wines have nothing to, to you know, to go amiss. Yeah, I, I agree with you. What, what would you say is the best quality that English wines at best have? How would you characterize English wines to distinguish, you know, their real uniqueness? Yeah, I mean, in, 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 in uh, of course, the acidity sometimes is much more, you know, spiky and, and, and refreshing, but also, you know, uh, they have an orchard fruit quality, that sometimes uh, it's more difficult to find in uh, in champagnes. If you you know, this is one of the things that uh, that can distinguish them. But it's very difficult to you know to to, to find you know the differences. But to me, this is probably you know the the, the characteristics. Yes, I, I would agree that just in the way that a a good English apple is in my opinion, one of the best apples you can eat anywhere. And with that, with that blend of, you know, sharp, fruity acidity and then the, the, the ripeness. Uh, and, and that can happen now increasingly with English wines. Uh, so It can only get better. And it can only get better because, uh, because, uh, because as I say, you know, people building reserve wines there, they'll, you know, they're becoming more skilled to, uh, to make wines, but also the vineyards are becoming more mature. Uh, people become more experienced in the vineyards as well. So there's a bright future, I think. Also, you know, global warming is a fact, but, you know, it, it, apart from that, there's a bright future for the wine industry as, in general. Yes, I think so too. And it's also, you know, you've, you've been talking about how the wines of Marema pair so well and naturally with the foods of the region. And I'm finding increasingly as well that, you know, we want to drink the local wines when we're in England too. 
where I live, for example, we have some very, very good still white wines that pair beautifully with the lime bay crab and the fish. Absolutely. Don't discard Bacchus. Bacchus is probably, you know, the, 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 the English white variety for making uh, still wines. And some people, especially in your, in your, in your, in your corner, I think, uh, have, proven, have proven that can be a really interesting wine when it's done properly. So, yeah, there are, there are quite a few, you know, quite a few things that English wines can, can, can talk about, I think. And you're actually living in a, a very strong food region. Shropshire is known for for its local food, strong, good producers. and Yeah, it's very rural. It's a rural part of, of, of UK, like many other, you know, many parts in, the, in, in, especially inland, in the Midlands as well. And so uh, a lot of, uh, you know, farming there. And, uh, and as a result, a lot of good, uh, good ingredients to make, to make very good food and good, uh, you know, a uh, good, good, Cuisine, you know, yes, it's uh, and beer, of course, you know, don't forget the beer and the cider. I'm not a very uh, big fan of cider, but uh, I like my beer. Yeah, actually, we have some very good West Country ciders where I am down here in Devon. Well, I should come and taste sometime. <laughs> yeah, come down and we'll have a pint or two of different ciders. So I know you're involved in different activities in wine with Livex and Simonet and Search. Do you miss not having your own wine estate? What do you miss most about not making your own wines. I mean, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful uh, job. I mean, it's a beautiful uh, thing to be able to go in the vineyards. It's very complex if you think, you know, thing to do, you know, growing your things, then transform it into into wine, then you know, selling them into the market. Uh, it can be, you know, it can be sometimes overwhelming because you know it takes many years to get established. But what I miss the most probably is that 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 you know, being in the vineyard. That's why I'm doing something with Simonet and Cirque because that allows me from time to time to be. To be involved in, uh, you know, inside the vineyards, which is probably, I think, overall, the 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 the, the thing that I miss the most. Yes, I can understand that. Uh, it's more than a job; it really is an entirely all-encompassing way of life, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, John Paolo, it's been great catching up with you again. You have such a knowledge of wine, and you speak so beautifully about your region. So I'm really glad we've been able to meet up again. Uh, I still have a couple of cases of your wines in my cellar which i'm enjoying drinking and uh, i will continue to enjoy drinking them uh and thinking of even more vividly of marama now that we've had this chat so i wish you well with your with your uh work in wine and i look forward to meeting up maybe down here in devon sometime sometime soon I, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll be, we, we will. And uh, re- thank you very much for reaching out and uh, give me the chance to, you know, to to revive uh, an old friendship and also to talk about my my region, which is always, you know, a special place to me. Great. Thank you very much, and see you soon. Bye. Bye to all. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin. Hi guys. 
guys, I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.